So I'd like to begin by saying Happy Thanksgiving. I know that, well, from my own experience, it can be very powerful to be on retreat for Thanksgiving in many ways. One, we really feel that we are the recipient of great generosity. You know, the, the work that went into the meal today, uh, just the love and the care that staff had in preparing that and in receiving it. I also know it can be a day when it's difficult for people that, you know, many times we're with family, friends, and probably here we have a sense of family. But for many people, sadness comes up, um, sometimes loneliness, that it's a, quite a strong day in the world of a yogi. Um, but ah, it's a beautiful day, too. Today, I was just really in touch with a deepening appreciation of there being a day in the year called Thanksgiving, a day that helps people to remember qualities of gratitude, generosity, you know, these qualities that really open the heart, that point towards the interconnectedness of life, that point towards the support that is there in our lives. I'd like to share a Thanksgiving prayer. It's a Native American Thanksgiving prayer. We return thanks to our mother, the earth, which sustains us. We return thanks to the rivers and streams, which supply us with water. We return thanks to all herbs, which furnish medicines for the cure of our diseases. We return thanks to the moon and the stars, which have given us their light when the sun was gone. We return thanks to the sun that has looked upon the earth with a beneficent eye. Lastly, we return thanks to the great spirit in whom is embodied all goodness and who directs all things for the good of her children. For me, this poem, this prayer of thanks, was all the more powerful because it's Native American. And on this day of Thanksgiving, when uh, I know some of you aren't American, um, so might not know the roots of Thanksgiving, but it came about when there had been pilgrims, who the first pilgrims to come to this country, and were having a hard time, were having a difficult time making their way in what often seemed a brutal country. And the Native Americans helped them. And then came harvest time, and the pilgrims thought they would invite the Native Americans to share in the harvest. They didn't realize it, but the Native Americans had very big extended families. And as they descended on them, there was not enough food for everyone. But the Native Americans went and caught more food, and it became a three-day celebration. But then history turned. We probably all are familiar with some of the things that happened to the Native Americans. So when I heard this poem of Thanksgiving, 
It spoke to me of the resilience of the heart. Know that gratitude is not something that we only feel on a day when we have such abundance as we had today. But gratitude can be felt at any time when we really look towards what sustains us, what helps us, what supports us. I had a strong lesson of this in my own life when I was very sick and had very little energy. Some days just laying on my bed. And often there would be a plant or a flower near my bed. Or I was living in Australia, so there was often a gorgeous sunny day outside. And as I laid there, without knowing anything about generosity or gratitude being a practice, something one does, the mind just went there. It went towards what was good in life. And it was so healing. I saw that it had such a beneficial effect on the mind. And it really was just looking on a mundane level at what helped support me. Seeing the beauty, bringing joy to the heart. So, I don't know if you've guessed it, but tonight's talk is about these qualities of gratitude and generosity. It just seemed in line with today's energy. When I was preparing this talk, I was in the midst of reflecting on gratitude. And I got a phone call from an old friend, an old friend I hadn't spoken of for a long time, an aging old friend. And he said to me, that as he, got old, as he gets older, he says, I don't believe you can ever express gratitude too often. You know, I, I had this sense as if my talk was speaking to me through his telephone. And then he went on to just thank me for some small thing that I had done that had touched him. And it just brought to me this felt sense of generosity. When he was expressing his gratitude, you know, his heart seemed like the midday sun on a clear day. It was just there, vibrant, alive. And within that light, it couldn't help but open my own heart. I felt touched by his kindness, his sharing. And gratitude is just the response of the heart when it sees kindness. When the heart is open and available, allowing itself to be touched. We can see the power of gratitude in our own minds when we look at what happens when we remember, when we turn the mind towards that which supports us. And then think, you know, think what it's like when you do that, when you actively reflect in your own mind what you can be grateful for. You know, the simplest things, 
You know, the sun, the wind, the earth. That simple and complex. I mean, it holds us. It's huge. Um, but, you know, just that we have food, shelter, clothing. That we have this beautiful center to practice in. This opportunity to practice. And then, you know, what it's like when we sit and we think about everything that's wrong. You know, the floor in here squeaks too much. It's not the right temperature. You know, the food isn't quite right. Um, some rooms are drafty and cold, and others are stuffy and hot. And, um, <laughs> that, you know, there's someone walking where we want to walk. And, you know, we, we can't control the environment. And, you know, people shouldn't walk so loudly. You know, and what happens in the mind then? We just see how powerful it is where we turn our minds to, what we turn our minds towards. And so in our lives remembering, when you get entrenched, you're sitting here entrenched in suffering, entrenched in pain, identified. It's my pain. It hurts. Ouch. I hate it. can't stand it. It's agony. What else is there? Look and see where you can connect with more ease, with more gratefulness. Look and see where the heart can open. It brings a balance. It brings joy. It brings gladness. And this helps concentration to deepen. And out of this, wisdom can arise. Now, in a simple shift of attention, the world changes. I'd like to share a simple quote from Mahagosananda. I spoke about Mahagosananda last week, uh, the Cambodian monk um, who has done such courageous work in his life of just keeping alive an open heart in the midst of immense suffering. And he said, if we cannot be happy in spite of our difficulties, what good is our spiritual practice? I've actually, in my own life, experienced blessings that don't come in such a pleasant packaging. You know, I, I had spoke this week and last week, mentioned that I had been sick, uh, quite sick for a while in my life. And from where I sit today, I know that it was a great blessing in my life. That it was what helped wake me up. What helped me realize that there was no point in living in complacency. And it didn't, it didn't give me a choice, in a sense. You know, that when one is tired, exhausted, the mind can't fight anymore. And that it does find what is of value in life. And sometimes it feels like a really hard way to learn this. And in the midst of it, it can be really hard to see it as a blessing. And yet, anything that happens in our life, any lesson that comes, 
when we can bring a tender heart to it, to look and to feel, to understand from this experience, it can help to free the mind. gratitude it, you know it arises when our hearts have been touched and we begin to out of that movement of the heart really get a sense of the web of interconnectedness in which we live how deeply entwined our lives are how our own heart can be so touched by kindness and how out of that it can touch another when we really feel the web of interconnectedness, there comes this great, almost, I don't even like to use the word, but debt of gratitude. That there is so many blessings in life that there comes this movement to want to repay, want to express want to give back. And it's a real opening of the heart. And this openness of heart is essential in the cultivation of wisdom. Last week I spoke about bodhicitta, where we can have the aspiration to awaken for the benefit of all beings. And we find that gratitude is really a juice that helps to keep this aspiration alive, helps to give fuel to this aspiration. You know that when we receive blessings in our own life, we, out of that gratitude, want to give back, want to care for others, want to open our hearts I'd like to share a poem of gratitude. Being touched, wordless tear from a timeless realm, so inexpressible and so expressed, opening, not to, just opening. No limit, no barriers, nothing to hang on to, no one to hang on. Bowing my head, touching the sacred, touching and being touched. This is gratitude. Touching and being touched. We find that out of gratitude, generosity naturally comes forth. To give, to offer, kindness, care, 
to offer in the material world, to offer time, energy, to offer what we have, to offer ourselves to life. Generosity plays a very vital role in the spiritual journey. The Buddha gave a lot of emphasis to it because it has the power to open the heart. It has the power to gladden the mind. It is a way in which we can consciously cultivate letting go, the letting go that is essential to freedom. It is an active expression of compassion, loving kindness. It is a response to life that is joyful that brings joy into the world. When the Buddha gave teachings, it was often the first teaching he would give to lay people because it lays a foundation for the unfolding of the other teachings. Generosity is also the first of the three bases of meritorious deeds, It's the first of the four means of benefiting others. And it's the first of the ten paramis, or the requisites for enlightenment. It's really a place of beginning. The Tibetans have this great practice where, you know, when we actually give a gift, there's something that's quite tangible in that. You know, we can feel that the act of letting go. Where sometimes in our practice, the letting go is very subtle, and you don't really get a sense of it. But when you give, you can really feel the letting go. And sometimes for us, that's hard. And so the Tibetans have this practice where if it's difficult, you can take something like a potato or a turnip, and you can hold it in one hand, and you can offer it to the other hand. And, you know, it just helps the mind to be able to begin this practice. And our culture, you know, it doesn't always uh, give us support that our, we live in a culture that's about accumulating, about, you know, social status can be defined by how much we have, we get prestige, and it's, you know, about having, getting, collecting, rather than letting go, giving, sharing. And, you know, the Buddhist teachings to me really are, come from a, almost a currency of dana, a currency of generosity. And it's really fundamental in the Buddhist teachings. And the teachings come to us through this practice of generosity, where, you know, I look back to the time of the Buddha, and there, before he was a Buddha, before he was fully awakened, that, you know, he had been an aesthetic, and he was very, very thin. You know, it was said that you know, there was no meat on his body. He was near death. Uh, he had 
just been doing all these uh, very difficult practices of not eating, eating one, I think it was one grain of rice a day or something like that. And then he saw that that was not the way, that uh, there was a middle path. And there was this local girl who came and offered him some, uh, a bowl of rice. And it was her dana, her generosity, that gave him the energy, the power, the capacity to practice. And he practiced, and he practiced diligently. And out of that, he shared those teachings. And then people supported him, supported the monks and nuns in that time, and they offered the teachings. And, you know, since the time of the Buddha, this has been how these teachings have come to us. And I often think of dana or generosity as being the glass platter in which these teachings are given to us. And, you know, a glass platter, you don't really see. You see through it. And sometimes I think unless it's pointed out to us, we don't realize it. And we don't realize how valuable that is and how impeccable that is and how trustworthy that is. I remember when I was practicing in Burma, and Burma was where I really started to get a glimpse of the power of generosity because it's a culture that really honors this practice where it is practiced by many people and not just wealthy people, people who have so little practicing in a monastery there. You know, every day people came and offered the food so that others could practice. And many times these were very poor people. And they would take such delight in offering. And so I went to Burma, I think, as an arrogant Westerner, that, you know, I didn't understand a lot of different aspects of the Buddhist teachings. I really came to the practice to be liberated and had no idea how closely entwined generosity would be with this. And so, you know, I went there and I was practicing and there was, you know, some level of appreciation for people giving dana, you know, just seeing how meaningful it was. And then one day, uh, just to back up a little bit, so it would also happen that at mealtimes, when you walked into the dining hall, everyone would go single file. And in this monastery, everybody went so slowly. You know, it was with Sayadaw Ujjanaka, and he really emphasizes moving slowly in his teachings. And so it was just a slow progression into the hall, and everybody went in with their heads bowed and their hands raised. But my Western arrogance... You know, I didn't, I didn't take to a tradition without understanding it. And so, you know, it had taken me a long time to really learn how to bow. At first I did it as a mindfulness practice, and, and then slowly there came, you know, other feelings of reverence, devotion, of humility. But it was a practice for me. It didn't come naturally. And, and then, you know, walking into the hall, I didn't know why everyone walked in with their hands raised and their head bowed, so I didn't do it. I walked in every day with my hands by my side. And then it was my birthday, 
And in Burma, it's traditional on your birthday that you um, give dana. I mean, there's no pressure to do it, but it's just something that is often done. And so on my birthday, I wanted to do this. I, I, so I offered dana. And when you do that, you sit by the door where everyone files in. And so I was sitting by the door. And on that day, I did manage to raise my hands as people came in. And as they walked in, and they walked past with their their heads bowed and their hands raised, I, I, I don't know. And up at the front of the hall sat Sayadaw Ujanaka. And I looked up, and I saw him sitting there. And I just felt this circle of reciprocity that has happened since the time of the Buddha and felt a part of that, the giving and the receiving, and how that is what makes it possible for us all to be here today, to receive these teachings, to do this practice. From that day onwards, (laughs) the hands were raised. There was greater understanding. Although we may often think of generosity as a quality of the heart, a quality of kindness, it really can be brought into the arena of wisdom, that which liberates, that which brings freedom. You know, there, there can be a level where it's simply done, kindness, care, you know, and... and It's a great offering, not to diminish that. But when we really start to understand what frees the heart and mind, we begin to see of the real power of generosity, of the importance. We begin to see that through an act of generosity, the law of karma is at work we begin to see how this is the planting of wholesome seeds. Wholesome seeds that can bring a mind to a state where wisdom can arise without bondage, without obstruction. We see that our actions have consequences. It helps us to bring greater integrity into our lives. With wisdom, we begin to see that in the ultimate sense, there is no giver, no receiver, no gift. In the purity of wisdom, we begin to know the joy of letting go. The heart that doesn't shut down, doesn't move into separation, contraction, but the heart that stays connected, the heart that cares. 
we find in a moment of generosity, there's the absence of greed. We find there's the absence of ill will. And there's wholesome qualities in the mind. Loving kindness, caring for another's welfare, compassion, making an active movement to help ease another's life, to bring joy to another. We find that in an act of generosity, there's the quality of equanimity, where we can give without needing to get something in return. The mind needs to be balanced in order to give. The Buddha once said, if beings knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given, nor would the stain of miserliness overcome their minds. Even if it were their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared if there were someone to receive their gift. But because beings do not know, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they eat without having given. The stain of miserliness overcomes their mind. It can be quite likely that we don't know, as the Buddha knew, the power of giving. And so it does become a practice for us. And by practice, it means we bring it into the realm of consciousness. We bring awareness to this act of generosity. We work with habituated mind states. We work with the quality of stinginess, not wanting to give. And we do so not in a brutal way, but with acceptance, kindness, You know, sometimes we can practice with that potato or turnip. That's okay. Actually, I heard uh, or read something recently by Pema Chodron, and she was saying, you know, sometimes you can just imagine giving something away. No, we can begin where we are with the mind that is present. Sometimes seeing others do acts of generosity will really inspire us. It's got a contagious element to it. There was um, a news clip this week that, that touched me. Apparently, in Kansas City, for the last 25 years, there's been an anonymous Santa Claus that would go around giving away money and for 25 years remained anonymous. But this year, he um, said who he was. He spoke to the cameras. And he did so because he has cancer and life is uncertain. And he said he wanted to speak about this because he had seen how healing generosity is, how healing an act of kindness is, 
and he wanted to inspire others to do so. The, this news um, review also interviewed people who had been recipients of his generosity. And you know, people just had tears of joy for what they had received. There was another uh, news article about something called the Circle of Giving. Apparently, there's a number of Circle of Givings in this country, and it seems like it's predominantly women who are a part of these giving circles. And they, these women you know, would give $1,000, and it could be several thousand women, and then they would give it where they felt to. And um, there was this one group of women that were in Texas in some town, and they had given money to an organization that helped to support uh, to help to train people who didn't have skills in their life. And one of the people that had benefited from this was a 16-year-old girl who had not had a job, had not had any money, and had a one-year-old child to support. And then she got trained. And this was a year later, and she now had an apartment, she could care for her child, and she was so grateful to work in an ice cream store, in a Ben and Jerry's. And she was interviewed, and she said, you know, when I walk down the street, any time a homeless person asks me for money, I will give it to them. She said, even if it's the last penny in my pocket, I will give it to them. When our love lives have been touched by generosity, we can't help but give back. When I was uh, in Burma last August, and you know, Burma to me, always I come back with uh, something that has profound me t- touched me around generosity. And so this time I was practicing in a monastery where the food was very simple. Um, and for vegetarians, it was really, really simple. <laughs> it often didn't include protein. To many Burmese people, being a vegetarian means that you eat vegetables. And so if you have been a vegetarian, you know that this becomes hard to sustain a body on. But anyhow, this was what the situation was. And some days there would be protein in some form. But many days there wasn't. And so this time there was two young Vietnamese nuns who sat at a table next to me. And they too were vegetarians. Not all people there are vegetarian. Most weren't, actually. It was a minority that was. And so these two nuns noticed that I was a vegetarian. And they had a source. <laughs> and so when, uh, you know, often at mealtimes they would have nuts or they would have um, different condiments that would supplement. And so they would be offering that to me. And then one day, um, you know, when another meal, no protein, sitting down to my meal, they got served these two big slabs of tofu. I mean, they weren't huge. You know, over here it was a little bit. But over there it was like, wow, look at that. You know, I'm trying to focus my eyes on my own plate. And then suddenly one of the nuns cuts a piece of tofu in half and offered it to me. 
explain all. I cried on the spot. <laughs> and then the night that I left, or the, the night before I left Burma, these two nuns were in a room right beside mine. And I hear this knock on my door. And they came, and they had brought with them a bag that had some buns in it and some fruit. And they said to me that when they had come to Burma, they had come through Bangkok, and they had spent several hours sitting in the airport. They didn't have any money, and they didn't have any food. And they said they were so hungry that they didn't want this to happen to me. So, you know, in their world where they don't have a lot, they brought this bag of offering. We can know the power of generosity by knowing what these moments of receiving are like, how they touch our hearts, the potential. In a moment of generosity, it has the power to deeply touch another's heart. But as our habits may be counter to this generosity, we do have to work with what habits are there. You know, know, I myself felt like I was born with a clenched fist that, you know, I wanted to hold on to. I was that little child that was, give me, (laughs) it's mine. You can't have my candy. (laughs) This is for me. (laughs) And it's been a practice to learn to work with the opening of that fist. And this is where I feel so much gratitude for this lineage because it emphasizes this act of giving. And I have found within, um, within this community there are so many people who embody this quality of generosity, of open-heartedness. And they make so much possible you know, living in this place. How, I was here before the forced refuge existed, you know, when it was a vision. And I saw a lot of what went into the making of this place. I saw the time, the energy, the funds. I saw how it was brought about by people who had such confidence in the Dhamma. And I saw the generosity of it. When I first practiced here, I spent days outside in the fields crying as a result of just feeling the gratitude of receiving such generosity. I keep seeing like the stories of generosity or what's coming, and I keep meaning to talk about other things because <laughs> it isn't always easy. <laughs> uh, and not to be hard on ourselves there. You know, that's where we can be generous to ourselves when it is that tightly clenched fist, when it hurts to give, when we don't feel like we have enough to give. There are three types of giving where we give and it's tentative, you know? This is where we learn. It's hard. 
and we it might draw back, you know. It's like you go to give, and, oh, I can't go. Oh. Sometimes within that, there's fear. You know, fear that our gift won't be accepted. I had so much fear around offering and the gift being rejected and really having to see that and to know that, you know, it's just that movement of the heart. And a part of generosity is the capacity to receive. And that, too, is a practice. I'll come back to that, I hope, because I'm getting off track here again. <laughs> but, so there's tentative giving where, you know, it isn't so easy, but we try. We make that offering, this hesitancy. And sometimes there's great joy. We start to feel the joy in that if we pay attention, that moment of offering. And then there's friendly giving, where we can give to those whom are dear to us, our close circle. Um, you know, I've seen that with clothes in my closet, that they can sit there and then I, I'll make a little pile, but I can't quite give it away. And then a friend comes along, and it's easy to give it. You know, it just helps to, to be able to let go, to offer. And then there is the royal giving. That's giving from abundance, giving from fullness, giving for the joy, for the happiness that it brings. It's royal. And it isn't, you know, it doesn't come from having a lot, but that sense of abundance in one's life. And, you know, I've had great teachers in my own life around generosity. And one of these teachers has been my husband. And he, he just has this capacity to give freely of money, time, energy. Um, and at one point in our life, we didn't have a lot of money. So we were not really able to give on that level in the same way. And then it happened at some point where we received an unexpected sum of money. It wasn't huge, but to, to us, when we hadn't had much money, it seemed like a lot. Uh, we were on different continents at the time, but we both had the same response. We turned around and gave away money. When we got back together, and we talked about it, we realized we had given away almost the exact amount of money we'd been given. And so when I realized that, I said to him, you know, we're never going to be rich. <laughs> and he looked at me with all his wisdom, and he said, you know, we are rich. And that's the heart of someone who has this sense of royal giving. It's important to pay attention to our motive as we give. That sometimes giving is done in lights that are not so healthy. That it isn't always this act of freely offering. It isn't always given for an altruistic motive. Sometimes we give because we want to get something back in the future. Sometimes we give because we want others to like us, to improve our own image. Sometimes we give from a place of fear, 
But by being a practice, we just begin to notice what our motivation is. And it, sometimes it's complex. It's not one or the other. But bringing the light of awareness to this. So we can find the purity of the heart. So coming back to the practice of receiving, because it too is so important. And oddly enough, for many of us, it's not natural. You know, living in a culture where accumulating is good, you would think it would make it easy to receive. But it often isn't the case. How many times do we offer something to someone and they say, oh, thanks, but no thanks? You know, that in some way, there are times when, you know, it's all, almost as if, would it be a sign of weakness to receive something? Would it be, you know, not wanting to um, impose on another? Uh, I think there's a multitude of things there that make it difficult to receive, that are just habituated patterns. And it really takes a pure heart to receive. Where, where one can just allow another to offer. Again, going back to a time in Burma where I had a bag of apples that I was offering to a nun. And to me, it was just one of those moments where, you know, giving, offering these apples, this very simple offering, and she was like this empty vessel. It was like there was no sense of self-receiving. And it just helped to take me to an understanding of the purity of the giver, that there was no giver, no gift. But often our habits are, mm, we shut down. And in doing so, we don't allow another that opportunity to give. And, you know, there's merit in giving. You know, there's a, a, a... wholesome energy that's there. And it's like pushing that away, not allowing the wholesomeness to come. And so really noticing if when something is offered, there's this tendency to say, oh, no, it's okay. I don't need it. I don't really need it. And to see if we can just look. Can can we allow, receive? Can we open our hearts? be touched just by the fact that someone is caring for our well-being in this moment. Giving and receiving are really the ebb and flow of the universe. Know that, that in one moment it's the drinking in, the nourishing, and in the next moment it's the offering. And this this is what sustains life. You know, it's like we can't take an in-breath without an out-breath. We need both. And both are within this practice of generosity. I'd like to share a teaching from the time of the Buddha 
that where something is expressed of the benefit of generosity. Once the Buddha asked the woman, Visaka, who was the chief female patron, as to what she saw as the advantages of her generosity. And she said that when she hears that a particular monk or nun has attained any of the fruits of reclusion, and if that monk or nun has visited Savati, she would be certain that he or she has partaken of the offerings she constantly makes. Then she reflects that she has contributed in some measure to his or her spiritual distinction, and great delight arises in her. Joy arises in the mind that is delighted, and when the mind is joyful, the body relaxes. And when the body relaxes, a sense of ease is experienced, which helps the mind to be concentrated. And that helps the development of the spiritual faculties, the spiritual powers, and the factors of enlightenment. The Buddha, upon hearing this, said, Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Looking in our own experience to the power of generosity. You know, it's said that in a moment of generosity, there's a moment before we give where there's joy at the thought of giving. In the act of giving, there's the joy in the relinquishment, the offering. And after giving, there's the joy in the remembering of giving. In order for the mind to concentrate, it needs to be happy. It needs to be uplifted. This generosity is such a natural way to do it. As we sit here on retreat, the offerings that we give may be in a different way. You know, if we were out in the world today, it may have been that we cooked a meal, we uh, gave offerings of whatever to our friends and family. But there are still great offerings that we give here. Actually, the Buddha said that the highest gift was the gift of the Dhamma. And as we sit here, it's to realize the Dhamma. We can make an offering of this life that we look into the roots of suffering and free this heart and mind. As we sit here, we give the gift of silence, the gift of holding this space so that people can do this work. We bring the gift of presence into the world, the gift of caring, the gift of kindness. 
Buddha said there was three pillars upon which the Dhamma rests. Pillar of generosity, of giving, the pillar of a harmonious life, ethical conduct, sila, and the pillar of the training of the mind, bhavana. This is what we do here. And it's really important that all these three pillars are strong. This is what supports awakening, the realization of the Dhamma. Looking in our lives to how we can support generosity. The understanding of its importance. The act of This is what will help keep the teachings of the Dhamma alive in the world. It rests on this glass platter. So generosity, gratitude, these two qualities of heart and mind that support the unfolding of wisdom. an expression of the open, joyous heart, the heart that receives the blessings of life. So let's just sit for a moment. Gratitude is the posture of receptivity, openness, availability. May all beings realize the highest blessings of the mind that is freed.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.